Well, I wasn't going to play that, and I thought that's a bit obvious, the great guitar solo of all time. But then I went back and heard it last night, and I thought, it's actually quite good. <laughs> In fact, it's not just quite good, it's actually extraordinary solo, isn't it, Simon? Oh, love it. Also, um, Down by the River would be a big vote from me for one of my favourite. Oh, yeah. great, yeah. great, yeah. Little noodle long for Beautiful. about 15 minutes, love it. Alexia, do you have a nomination? No, not really. I'm a, I'm a big cacophony girl. I prefer yeah. it when it's all... You know, everything's playing together and the louder the better oh, and more drums involved. In. Yeah, yeah. But my producer Sam's his mega brain, Funkadelic. Um, so, stairway to heaven there. Um, someone says Crossroads by Cream, the best guitar solo. Um, Machine Gun by Band of Gypsies, yes indeed. And uh, Mark suggested this one here. <laughs> Just a correction there, Mark Ribbett was the soloist on Tom Waits' Jockey Full of Bourbon uh, and the, nom- the person who nominated, Jamie. Welcome, Jamie. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora. Hey, explain why you chose that. Uh, it just takes the whole song somewhere else, throws mm. you off balance. You know it immediately. You wouldn't have black books without it. Yep. Uh, it rules. I like it. It's even better than... Jimmy Page's solo, which is almost worth sitting through Stairway to Heaven for it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well said, Jamie, because I like the fact, I like what you said there, a great solo does take a song somewhere else, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and that's a perfect example of it, Jamie. Hey, good on you. Thanks for a great nomination. Cheers. See ya. Cheers, mate. That's... Uh, Tom Waits, uh, a, a jockey. Someone says the best guitar solo, Prince at the end of an all-star band. Uh, While my guitar gently weeps, that's on YouTube. And in an interview, Eric Clapton was asked what it was like being considered the greatest guitarist of all time. He replied, he has no idea. They should ask Prince. It's really quite something. That YouTube um, clip is quite extraordinary. Now, before I go on to um, the next story, can I just... Please take a minute out. I just want to read you this, if I may, because something pretty special happened to me today. In fact, really special, and it's made my day. So I thought I might share it nationwide. Okay, so we put this out the other week. I received this email. Hello, Wallace. I hesitate to ask this question, wrote Alice. Would it be possible for a reliable person in Gisborne to go and check on my late godmother's son, please? He is 60, lives alone, he has no family contact. This was Derby Street, Gisborne, and there was quite a bit of flooding there. Uh, Very concerned about a person who they couldn't get in touch with, Alice couldn't get in touch with. And the next day, a panel listener replied, saying, just to let his family know, I popped in to check on Rodney in Derby Street. I couldn't give him the info of who was wanting to check in on him, but let him know that he was being thought of. He's totally fine. I said I would go back once I found out who it is that's checking on him. And this afternoon, I see that Alice travelled two and a half hours to deliver to the station into the panel a beautifully made homemade cake. 
four buses, two and a half hours, a cake arrived. Uh, so to you, Alice, I'm so happy that uh, Rodney is well and fine. And I just want to say kia ora and thank you so much for the beautiful cake, which I shared with the office. Kia ora. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Now, there is also a topic that I've had quite a bit of correspondence about, mainly those in urban areas who lost power due to downed trees. So some trees uh, have, uh, or some areas have underground lines, some suburbs don't. Is there a renewed case for burying power lines? Denmark, Switzerland, Germany and the Netherlands have all buried the power lines. Japan's doing it. Dr. Timothy Welsh is a senior lecturer in urban planning at the University of Auckland, and he wrote about this. Dr. Welsh, kia ora. Kia ora. So what has been made really clear in this uh, cataclysmic weather event, how we rely on power, right, and not just appliances, the mere act of connecting with each other? Yeah, I think these storms have renewed our... um you know, awareness that our infrastructure for, for power is really fragile. Uh, even a really strong breeze can start to disrupt our power, knock trees over, take power out for people. Um, and that has some big consequences for people. So is the case for underground lines made stronger? I think so. I mean, if we look back at the economic damage caused by these power outages, once we start to calculate this, I think the numbers will start to make sense for putting the upfront costs forward of, of burying the lines and getting them out of the air. Let's go around the panel, Alexia. Timothy, what about the situation where, like as it has in Auckland, where the land has moved, the landscape has changed? If you've got underground wires that then break, you know, if a tree falls on a power line, you can see where the power's down, and you can go and get a truck up there and fix it eventually. But if you can't find where the break is underground, that must surely take longer to trace. Yeah, I mean, typically it'll take a pretty significant earthquake to uh, damage those underground power lines, and they can be fortified so that really doesn't happen and routed properly. Uh, but if there is an underground break, uh, utilities have some pretty good tools to quickly find those locations and repair them. And it's so infrequent compared to a tree falling on a power line or even a truck hitting a power pole and taking people out like happened yesterday in Tasman um, that it's worth that investment. It's also a bit of an equity issue, isn't it? As I remember in Auckland, uh, Lance Wiggs put together a group of um, people to stand for the trust board. And part of their um, campaign was about the fact that wealthy areas had been very good at advocating for using public money to underground lines near them. Yet the less wealthy areas had a you know vanishingly small percentage of the undergrounding done. Um, is this something that's been, and then you know they got very few votes and uh, one of the first things that the board did when they came in was announce more undergrounding in rich areas. Is this something that's repeated across Aotearoa? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that the squeaky wheel always gets the grease, and it's the people with the most power, most wealth, that tend to um, speak up most for better infrastructure. So they're the ones that benefit from this. And as a result, they get power most of the time, even when the storms hit.
But it's not just that, is it, though? I mean, when our street was being completely redone, I said, well, why don't you take the opportunity, since you're putting an actual street in over the gravel, to underground the power lines? And they said, oh, look, you are, you're at the bottom of the list for the North Shore, you know, because um, we're in a cul-de-sac, and the the biggest, the highest priority for undergrounding is where services run past major shopping areas and okay. available, you know, hospitals and things mm. like that. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly there is a prioritization for people that really need power all the time. Uh, but I think as we rely more on power for running our local Wi-Fi or even being able to call anybody through our the Internet connection we have in our homes or the cell phone towers nearby, uh, we can make a strong case that everybody could really benefit from this process. That's why I kind of really sort of uh, wanted to get you on and bring this. It was actually less the things that we might be able to do with uh, the appliances, or actually even a bit of hot water, um, but the actual lack of connectivity, as uh, Tamsin and Wairoa said, she found that the most frightening, being in an emergency situation and not being able to connect with anyone. Uh, and then, Tim, you've also got the loss of productivity to consider. You know, no power means no FPOS. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, I mean, to- Go to the the issue of no connectivity. We still have, if, you know, a thousand people or so that we haven't been able to contact in Hawks Bay, um, and cell towers that are still down, and those rely on a connection to the grid. They have some backup power, but it's pretty limited. So once that goes down, we don't have traditional phone lines in our houses anymore. So we don't have a way to contact anyone through our home phone either. Um, people get isolated very quickly, and it can be dangerous. The obvious one. What about earthquakes? Yeah, we saw uh, that happen in in Christchurch uh, a decade ago. Uh, part of the problem was where those underground uh, power lines were routed. They are too close to areas that the soil essentially liquefied and they weren't reinforced in concrete. Uh, so from those lessons, they kind of built a better system, a better routing and, and stronger um, reinforcement around those power lines, and so we won't likely see that. And Japan gets plenty of earthquakes, as does California, which is investing $10 billion in undergrounding their power lines. So um, earthquakes are a fairly small uh, likelihood of knocking out power compared to... Okay, interesting. So California's doing it, Japan's doing it. Yeah, but California, you've got your bushfires, don't forget. You don't want a sparking power line, do you, Tim? but we've got bushfires here as well. Not like California, not like any spark just sets it all off. Well, the, the biggest brush fire in New Zealand history was sparked by uh, power lines, so it's definitely a concern here as well. Is that uh, like Oho? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And is this a dumb question, but is there a way when you underground it that you can have, I don't know, a service hatch going down the side of the road or something? Because I guess one fear people have is things are often um, being, there's so so many road cones in people's lives as it is, if every challenge means your road gets um, dug up. Yeah, there's a variety of ways to do it. You can put it in a culvert or something else, but uh, it just depends how much money you're willing to invest up front. That's the, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? So, yes, one of the uh, someone says, Anne says, check with lines companies re undergrounding. Special training is needed for cable joining, and not all lines people qualified to do this. Yeah, I think there's a whole heap of sort of problems that we don't know about it regarding it. But I mean, you're seeing in, in Greenfield's developments that everything has gone underground, yeah. you know. So, I mean, but as far back as when Greenfield was invented in the 60s, mm. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no overground power lines 
in that, those sort of new, okay. newish areas. Well, not new anymore, but you know that's when they started putting oh, whole suburbs underground. Very good. Hey, Tim, nice to have you on. Interesting topic. Cheers. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, that is a Dr. Timothy Welch there. What do you What do you make of that? Why didn't you email me the panel at rnz.co.nz? Could that be part of the infrastructure mix actually to um, underground? It's going to cost a lot of money, but uh, considering the amount of power outage we had. Uh, I guess I'm talking about urban areas here, but not only uh, when you had the tree come down on top of the lines where I live, two lines went down, two trees down. So uh, it's um, quite the issue, as is Roald Dahl. Goodness gracious me. Uh, The volume of response we've got about Roald Roald Dahl. Wallace, here's one, Ian says, Wallace of Woke. Why do you... (laughs) Continue to promote the need for us to yield to this unacceptable and your unacceptable behaviour, censoring works that are classics. There is no purposeful need to purge literature in this way. Another one says, if it offends you, don't read it. Stories should not be changed by anyone but the author as ever. Just uh, a backdrop to this, I want to change some some offensive stuff that Roald Dahl said in his classics. Um, our two panellists um, uh, said, um, nothing to see here, don't worry about it, read it, or don't. Nicole says, the mouse as opposed to the fat brown mouse, I could not disagree with you more, Wallace. They are called adjectives. <laughs> Descriptive language that's rich and colourful. Why strip it back to bare bones, vanilla and boring? It's such a change. It's a shame. Describing words that come to life in your mind is what's good is it, is about it, writing. Isn't that what's known as a teachable moment? See, you can say, well, you know, this is hurtful and, 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 and give the context. If you remove all the context and edge out of life, you're left with a pretty pretty boring world. Are you? Look, do you know what I'm reading at the moment? Tom Sawyer. And <laughs> Mark Twain was... Appalling because it was of the era. I have not suddenly become a redneck because there's some root words there that we no longer hear anymore. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're if you have the ability to read these things and you but appreciate about, literature, you, you've got the brain to work it out. You, we have the opportunity to, to make Tom Sawyer even better. Oh, there's this pen- and fit for purpose for the 21st century, don't we? <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's pendulums and time. I reckon you can offer censored versions of things. Great if people want those. Great, and then keep the All originals. Right. But you worry about the pendulums of times, like the Victorians going round and putting, you know, making dresses for the Greek statues, so no one would have to look at uh, a breast, you know. And well, does does it look very clever in we'll, retrospect? We'll continue this. Uh, these days, I want to come back. I want to get to the transistor radio thing. These days, when we need information, we turn straight to our smartphones, but this past week uh, we've experienced what it's like when these fail us. When the cyclone arrived and power and mobile connections were cut off for many, the humble, the humble tranny was all they had to get updates. Since then, there's apparently been a surge of people trying to get their hands on one. Trade Me reported a 79% increase in search of your transistor radio. With us is the owner of Retro Radio's Danny Verk. The great Danny Verk and Alistair Ramsey's with us. Kia ora, Alistair. Kia ora. Has the cyclone proved that we'll never, ever, ever get rid of the good old fashioned transistor radio? I had one, a blue one, 1980. Listen to George Bellani. Oh, I can understand that. I can remember listening to him myself up in Whangarei. 
Because what the talkie equipments in Germany, the 80s. <laughs> was, it was one radio was, was station. Was Blarney on the radio? Yeah. <laughs> Have I you? Blarney was on the radio everywhere, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> have you yourself seen a lot of renewed interest in them over the past I, week or so? I have. I mean, I normally deal with valve radios, but I've had a real surge of people saying, um, the old transistor radios, and, and a lot of them are sort of getting in touch and saying, look, can I get my one fixed? And I had, I've got granddad, <laughs> one or dad's here, and, and you know what? The, the main problem that they've got with them is people leave their batteries in them. And so they, what, they rust? Yeah, they, they, they corrode inside it. Yeah. When you open up the back door and you, you've had the battery sitting in there because it's been in there since the last time we had it. So it's probably been sitting there for a couple of years. And they go to turn it on and it doesn't go. You open the back cupboard of it, the, the little door, and it's just all got this yucky, sticky brown stuff inside. That's there. it. I know what you mean. Around the panel, who's got a transistor radio at home? Not me, Simon. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how things go in cycles, though. Hey, like um, having a uh, cassette player, and now everyone's wondering about whether it was such a good idea to get rid of copper phone lines and all the kids taking photos with those cameras that take the flash, and so everyone has red eyes, and that's cool now. It's and a vogue. Like, we, were, we were so happy to get past those. <laughs> so have so <laughs> you got red one? eye to your photos. There's, yeah, there's, there's a red eye app. That's right, Alistair. Yeah. Alexia. Yeah, of course. It was my husband's a tradie. All tradies have a radio that works oh, with yeah. a battery. I mean, I don't even really get this. I mean, as soon as we got the cyclone warning, my husband came in with this kick-ass radio and a um, was, uh, the Zito battery packs, six of them, all charged. Back, bingo, you know. So a lot of, well, of traders who use said, Ryobi or Zito, those, oh, those ones, they have these massive battery packs. They have a radio and they just swap them out. All the Got time. it. Yeah, fair point, yeah, Alistair. Yep, the tradie radios. They yeah. still work. I, I can remember my father-in-law had a, had a, a little pocket tranny it, it, and he still uses it. It's, it's only the side of a deck of cards and... Everywhere he goes, he pulls it out and, and tunes, tunes into the radio on that. Does it have a little black leather case? Yeah, they do. <laughs> black leather case. Yeah, it's nice. But it's the still called the wireless. I've gone into. Yeah, the, I, I'm, I'm wondering, Alistair, I'm wondering, Alistair, because you're involved in retro radio, I wonder if it'll actually become beyond just um, the need for connectivity. I wonder if, like Red Eye, like cassettes, I wonder if transistor radios will actually become cool and the next thing you'll see them is on the New Zealand fashion catwalk. Well, I don't think it'll be on the catwalk, but you know what? I think it's become much more cooler to have one in your car or in your pocket. Um, I mean, I, I, like I said, I normally deal with valve radios and they've made a real resurgence in um, becoming cool. And when you're yeah, talking, you're my talking son about walks... The, um, for miles with a old phone in his pocket that doesn't can't use as a phone anymore but does to get the radio stations and he walks for miles listening to the radio just off his old phone. Yep, they're, they're coming and I'm listening to the panel on RNZ on my transistor right now, says Ruth in Devonport. Pete from The Point, Wallace, I've got two Makita jobs at radios with 18-volt batteries, a dozen. They last forever. So they do. we're talking heavy-duty, Alistair. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a heavy duty one here. It's a, a big old Zenith Transoceanic. You've got to put nine D cells in the thing. <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh, is it lovely to have you on? Can it pull in the radio station. 
Oh, it's nice to have you on, Alistair. Thanks for thanks for that. Uh, that's Alistair Ramsey there uh, from Danny Verk. He owns the Retro Radios uh, company there. I look them up, 7 to 5. You're on the panel, RNZ National, tomorrow. Power Ballad Friday, looking forward to that. But to this, something completely different. It's um, And I've been wanting to talk about this, actually. Chances are you would have been by now to the Hamilton Gardens. Theme to reflect countries and styles the world over, including Aotearoa. It's quite something. The Italian Renaissance Garden, Te Parapara Garden, the Modernist Garden, and it was all free. Unbelievable. Not now. Looks to be $10 for non-Hamiltonians over 16s to access the enclosed gardens part from sometime next summer. With us is Director at Hamilton Gardens, Lucy Ryan. Kia ora, Lucy. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? I Look, I've been there many times. How many visitors a year do you get now? We get about 550,000 visitors a year, and it's growing at the moment. So we're peaking, which is brilliant. No, I can understand. When I went, Mum's in Hamilton, Mum said, would you like to go to the gardens? I said, no, thank you. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and she said, have a look. I said, why? Went there. I was gobsmacked. Yeah. I, it, was, it was unbelievable, Lucy. Yep. And that's part of the beauty of it, I think, the unexpected nature. Every time you turn a corner, there's another little surprise and delight waiting for you. Around it's, the just, um, it's such a privilege to be in charge of it. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's one of my favourite things. And the yeah. level of um, care and execution, it's like a film set around... It's yeah. more, you know, when people say Hamilton Gardens, it's more like Hamilton, you know, Universal Studios True. theme park. It's um, <laughs> it's so well done. And yeah, yeah and, and, and if putting a charge on means you're able to deliver more of the great things you're doing, um, yeah. then that's a fantastic thing. Oh, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I love them so much. I went and did a podcast about them and spoke to um, the former director, Mr. Sugal, who designed yeah. most of them. Um, yeah. They are an absolute national treasure, and it is unbelievable that so far they have been free. I mean, the new Egyptian one is staggering, yeah. absolutely beautiful. Well, well, um, well, well hang on, because um, you, you've got to charge $10. A tenner yeah. is quite something. It's not It's not. Insignificant. No, but not for not for local for locals don't have to pay, yeah. do they? So if no. you're going to drive all the way to Hamilton from wherever you come from, ten dollars on top is really not a lot. Yeah, you should be contributing to all the goodness. Yeah, I mean, ratepayers yeah. the ratepayers of Hamilton have had to bear the cost of this for all these years. It, it just makes sense. And see a possible drop in audience numbers, Lucy. Um, we're not sure yet. We'll have to wait and see. Um, what I would say is that um, I totally agree around ratepayers of Hamilton have been you know, paying for this for the rest of the country and the rest of the world. Um, but also, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought, sorry. Mm. Um, uh, most tourists don't mind paying. They actually expect to pay. Mm. No. They come in and they're like, how much is it? And when you tell them it's free, they cannot believe it. So mm. if you take that on face value, you would expect that they won't make one. Why not start with a gold coin? Um, I think we need to put all the right infrastructure in place. And we actually already do do donations. So you can actually already mm. gold coin it. Um, and it doesn't bring us in a lot of income over the course of the year. And we want to become more self-sustaining. And we want to grow, develop and evolve. And, you know, we need this infrastructure in place to be able to do yeah. that. Look, I guess that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, the the other thing I would worry about is that I have a friend who took her mother who was quite a bit incapacitated and only had the energy to walk around a couple of the little gardens, um, yep. which I think, you know, is there any plan for a, I don't know, a, people who don't want to go in a wheelchair but who who just only want to see a couple to for mm. them to access it, you know, the, the elderly? 
Yeah. Um, well, we'll be doing concession rates for the elderly. Um, we haven't quite worked out exactly what we'll be doing there, but gold cards and student cards and annual passes. Um, I think that's, that's a good idea and something for us to think about. Um, but it, it can be a bit of a trick. About two to three hours most people spend at the gardens. And everybody's around. got their favourite garden, don't they? My personal favourite is... Uh, the Japanese garden, and also I must admit uh, the, uh, uh, the the modernist, but also the, oh. the Te Parapara garden because it's it's a working yep. garden, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yep. love it! And um, all of the the, the Kumara mounds through there. Yeah. Are and when you turn that corner into the Catherine Mansfield barn, you're like, oh, I yeah, can't please. believe they've done this. Actually, it's yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. So um, Catherine Mansfield for me. So I got when I got my behind the scenes tour, I went, was allowed to go down to see the tea party and the piano. Mm. You know, they've got a piano and a cello in the corner. Mm. They are not real. No. No. No, don't give it away. It's amazing. (laughs) The absolute works of art and up close, it's just incredible. I said to him, I said to him, what, do you have to take it in at night? In case it rains, no. <laughs> no, look at the tap there. It's not real. It's, it's, all, yeah, it's all concrete. It's got some kind of, yeah. Have you tried to yeah. eat it? Mm. Unbelievable. That's, that's Down to yeah. every little cherry on the little cupcakes. Yep. Yep. Well done, Lucy. And uh, let's let's keep Hamilton Gardens growing as you will with this new charge cure. That's the yeah. director of Hamilton Gardens, Lucy Ryan. Uh, someone says, I'm listening to you, Wallace, uh, on my app as I'm walking through the gardens. I rarely walk through the enclosed ones as I have my dogs, but I reckon $10 is worth it. There's nothing else in Hamilton, so $10 to see some gardens is not that bad. Well, that's a rude way to end the show, isn't it? A bit true, though. Is it? It's a great day trip. Do it. <laughs> All right. Enough of you guys. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, rude. Yeah. Checkpoint next with Lisa Owen. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow. Power Bell on Friday. Simon Pound, Lexi Russell. Thank you very much. Kia ora.